Hare Krishna. Good morning to everyone. We're coming to you from Dallas, Texas, USA. We know that some of you are listening in, maybe listening in online from another country, maybe even Mayapur, India. And we welcome you this morning. My name is Rupa Nugadas. I'm a disciple of Tamal Krishna Goswami Maharaj. Grand disciple of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. For those of you who have your copy of the Srimad Bhagavatam close at hand, or who want to uh, pull it up on the vedabase.com or vedabase.org, I encourage you to do so and read along with us. We're going to be reading from the first canto, continuing our reading, and also, this is, uh, we'll be dealing with, uh, chapter four and text number ten. So, first canto, chapter four, text number ten. We welcome you to join us in reading this morning. And first, we're going to have some, a little, some songs of, of invocation to the Supreme Lord. Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jai Gopi Janavala Bhagirivara Dari Jai Gopi Janavala Bhagirivara Dari Yashura Nandana Brajajana Ranjana Yashura Nandana Brajajana Ranjana Jamuna Jira Banachari Yamuna Tidha Vannachare Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabihare Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jai Gaura Premananda Hari Hari Go Jai Om Vishnupad Paramahansa Parivijaka Charja Hasto Tadasata Sri Srimadis Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharashi La Prabhupada Ki Jai Om Vishnu Pad Paramahamsa Padivadaka Charja Hasto Tarasata Shri Srimad 
His divine grace, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati Gosami Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada Ki, Anantakoti Vaishnavarinda Ki, Iskan BBT Founder Charger Srila Prabhupada Ki, Iskan Guru Param Para Ki, Sri Rupsi Sanatan Bhattaraganat, Sri Jeeva Gopal Bhattadasa Raganat, Satko Swami Prabhu Ki, Namacharja Srila Haridas Thakura Ki, Prem Zekaho Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda, Sri Advaita Gadadhar Sri Vasadi Gora Bhaktarinda Ki, Sri Sri Radha Krishna Gopa Gopinath Shamakun Radhakun Girigavadana Ki, Sri Vrindavandam Ki, Shri Mathura Dham Ki, Shri Mayapunabhadweep Dham Ki, Shri Jagannath Puri Dham Ki, Shri Shri Radha Kalachanji Dham Ki, Ganga Devi Ki, Jamuna Mai Ki, Tulsi Devi Ki, Bhakti Devi Ki, Samaveda Bhakta Vrind Ki, Brihan Bhadanga Transcendental Book and Prasharam Distribution Ki, Nitai Gora Premananda, Haribo, all glories to the assembled devotees, all glories to the assembled devotees, all glories to the assembled devotees, all glories, all glories, all glories to Sri Guru and Sri Gauranga. Namo Vishnu Vidaya Krishna Pastaya Bhutale, Srimati Bhakti Vedanta Swamini Dinamane. Namaste Sarasvati Deve, Godapari Pacharine, Nivisha Shinivari Pustata Deshatarine. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Narayanam Namaskrita Naram Chaivanurutamam Devan Sarvatam Yasan Tato Jayam Madhirayat Nasta Praesuva Bandreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavat Yutama Shloke Bhakti Bhavati Naistiki Grantarasima Bhagavatam Ki Jai Once again, reading from the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, the glorious Purana. And we're going to be reading from, uh, in chapter 4, text number 10. So if you are tuned in to vedabase.org or vedabase.com, can't remember which, I think it's org, then you can find quite a few of the literatures that have been produced by His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. So today we will start by reciting the word-for-word uh, transliterations in Sanskrit. So we're ready to begin. Sa, Samrat, Kasya, Va, Heto, Pandunam, Mana, Vardhana, Prayopavisto Gangayam Anadrita Dirat Sriyam 
Now we'll sing it as poetry. Samsarat kasya vaheto Pandunam manavardana Prayopavishto gangayam Anadritya dirat shriyam Sasamrat kasyavaheto Pandunam manavardana Prayopavishto gangayam Anaritya dirat shriyam Want to try re- reciting it? Lord, Sam? Sasamrat hasyavaheto Pandunam manavardana Prayoga vishto gangayam Anadridya diratriyam Good, Sam. By the way, we have two uh, two young men, or at least they used to be young men when I knew them for a long time ago. There's uh, Samuel is here with us this morning, and my son Barrett from Seattle is here with us also, and we welcome you too. And anybody who is uh, here in the temple compound listening in, uh, we welcome you also. But we especially welcome those of you who have chosen to listen in by radio, by telephone, or by internet. Thank you very much for making us part of your day. So now we're going to uh, we're going to read the word for word translations of our text today. Sa he samrat the emperor. Kasya, for what? Va, or? Heto, reason. Pandunam, of the sons of Pandu. Manovardana, one who enriches the family. Praya Upavista, sitting and fasting. Gangayam, on the bank of the Ganges. Anadrita, neglecting. Arirat, acquired kingdom. Shriyam, opulences. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada Kijai. He was a great emperor and possessed all the opulences of his acquired kingdom. We're talking about King Parikshit. He was so exalted that he was increasing the prestige of the Pandu dynasty. Why did he give up everything to sit down on the bank of the Ganges and fast until death? So read with me or recite with me, please. He was a great emperor. 
Repeat. He was a great emperor and possessed all the opulences of his acquired kingdom. He was so exalted that he was increasing the prestige of the Pandu dynasty. Why did he give up everything? To sit down on the bank of the Ganges and fast until death. And the purport by his divine grace, Srila Prabhupada, Maharaj Parikshit was the emperor of the world and all the seas and oceans, and he did not have to take the trouble to acquire such a kingdom by his own effort. He inherited it from his grandfathers, Maharaj Yudhisthir and his brothers. Besides that, he was doing well in the administration and was worthy of the good names of his forefathers. Consequently, there was nothing undesirable in his opulence and administration. Then why should he give up all these favorable circumstances and sit down on the bank of the Ganges fasting till death? This is astonishing, and therefore all were eager to know the cause. Om Ajnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chakshuran Militam Dena Tasmai Shri Gurave Shri Chaitanya Manovishtam Stapitam Dena Bhutale Svayam Rupahakada Maya Dadati Svavarantikam Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yutta Parakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavam Scha Shri Rupam Sagradattam Sahagana Raganatan Bitam Tam Sajivam Savadvaitam Savaduttam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakan Vitamscha He Krishna Karana Sando Dinabando Jagatpade Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Taptakanjana Gorangi Radhe Brindavaneshwari Vrishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Kadadhara Sivasari Gaurabhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Gratarat Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai Nama Om Vishnu Vanaya Krishna Pristaya Bhutale Srimate Tamal Krishna Goswaminiti Namane So we're talking about Maharaj Parikshit. He had everything going for him. He was the grandson of Arjuna. He was the son of Abhimanyu who was killed in the battle of Kurukshetra. And he was protected by Krishna when he was in the womb of his mother. 
Uh, you might remember uh, Mother uh, Mother Jayashi Radhe was speaking yesterday about how King Parichit was attacked by a weapon thrown by uh, uh, Ashwatthama, who was the son of Dronacharya, who was the martial preceptor of the Pandavas and the Kauravas. And uh, toward the end of the Battle of Kurukshetra, um, Ashwatthama uh, knew, knew the personality who was inside the body of his mother, and so he intentionally threw this weapon and uh, was intending to kill Parichit Maharaj before he was ever able to take birth so that the dynasty of the Pandus, the Pandavas, would be lost. They would be ended. But he didn't really have to take that on himself and then suffer the consequences. As a matter of fact, he was captured by Arjuna, and he was brought back before uh, uh, Queen Draupadi, and uh, and it, uh, he was she she was asked what what should we do with this person? Uh, we, should we kill him because he has attempted to kill uh, our grandson? who is in the body of his mother. And Draupadi said, he is the son of a Brahmin, so he should not be killed. And so uh, he was benedicted, then Ashwatthama was benedicted, he, he could continue living, but he would have to live for a very, very long time on this earth and wander around from place to place. So this is really quite a punishment because all of his relatives were going to be, or, or had been, most of them had been killed in the Battle of Kurukshetra. And uh, the his enemy, or those that he considered his enemy, the Pandavas, uh, were the uh, cousin brothers of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Krishna. And so their destination was already established. They had nothing but wonderful things to look forward to uh, in this life and in the next life. King Yudhisthira would would finally have obtained his rightful position as emperor of the entire world. And and also, um, in the next lifetime, he and his brothers and their wife, Draupadi, uh, would ascend first to the heavenly planets, to the kingdom of, of Indra, and then they would uh, they would leave there because they could not stay. They were so much attached to the presence of the Supreme Lord Krishna that they had to go where he was. They could not stay in that wonderful paradise of a place called Indraloka, where King Indra has his opulences. So we're talking about dealing with material opulences, and we see that King Pariksit, is a very exemplary person in that uh, although he was cursed to die by a young son of a Brahmin, his son's name was Shringi, um, and uh, because the king uh, Parikshit had been wandering through the woods hunting as kings are supposed to do to make even the forest a, a suitable place for saintly persons to have their hermitages, uh, but he was became very tired, fatigued, and he was very thirsty, and so he came upon the hermitage of this brahmana, 
and uh, and the brahmana was in a state of of not samadhi but in a in a deep trance, um, spiritual trance, and so he did not he he was not conscious of the kings having approached his ashram, his hermitage. And so, uh, somehow or other, by a, a stroke of fate, or we can say by the arrangement of the Supreme Lord Krishna, then the king became a little angry at this uh, sage for not welcoming him proper, properly and offering him some at least a cup of water. So he, he left his ashram, was leaving, and he found a dead snake outside the ashram, and he took it and put it around the neck of this person who was in in uh, in a trance, state of trance. And, of course, the young boy was quite powerful. Shringi was quite powerful. He knew what had happened to his father, and he became very angry at the king and cursed him to die within seven days. And King Parichit understood what what had happened, he was also himself very regretful after he left the hermitage of the sage and realized what he had done. He was very sorrowful that he had, had been so disrespectful because it's the responsibility of those in the Chatya class to offer all kinds of respect to those that are in the Brahmin class. And so he had failed to do so, and therefore he he had to suffer this punishment. But it is said that he had enough power himself to overcome the curse of the young boy, who was very uh, it was very naive and youthful, and and he could King Parikshit had a tremendous responsibility. He was governing the entire world, and he was doing a good job at it, according to this text. And yet, because he recognized that if something like this happens, it must be due to the uh, divine arrangement of the Supreme Lord. So instead of instead of uh, taking it on himself to counter the curse by Shringi, he accepted it and then had to go and decide, well, now what am I going to do with the last seven days of my life? So he went and sat down by, on the bank of the Ganges or the Ganga Devi, and and he was surrounded by many many saintly persons who came to be with him until that time of his leaving the planet. Because when a saintly person, a king even, uh, leaves the planet, then it's a it's a cause for for uh, introspection and celebration of a sort knowing that he's going to a much better place than this material world that he has come to. So, we're going to be talking today about dealing with material opulence, which is what King Parisha did. We can't imagine the wealth and the opulence that he had and the opportunities for sensual pleasure. So uh, we we have to recognize that there are problems with having possessions, with owning things. First of all, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of work, usually on the part of most of us to to obtain things that are considered to be opulences in our society. 
And among those things that are considered to be opulences are house and the vehicle. And, and yet it takes, uh, some persons are paying all of their lives for their, uh, for the house that they're living in and for the vehicle that they're driving. And of course, in nowadays, people tend not to keep vehicles very, for very long if they're wealthy enough to be able to get a new one after a certain period of time. And, but so it's, uh, the, you know, the type of vehicle that a person buys is usually an indicator of the amount of wealth that that person had as, as at his disposal. So for most of us, then, it takes a long time. When I first got out of school back in 1968, I went out and bought my first brand-new car, and it cost me all of $3,200. It was a BMW, as a matter of fact. And, uh, and it was, it, it was, uh, um, a kind of an interesting and unusual car. And I was very proud to have it. My wife and I were very pleased to have a new car to drive. But the, you know, it wound up, it, 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 we had to take out a, a three year note on this. So for 36 months, we had to pay a huge amount of money, $115 a month to own that car just to buy it. Of course, I didn't know at the time that, you know, there would come a time when people would be paying a lot more money than that. And instead of paying for three years, they can pay for six years for just to get a vehicle to carry themselves around from one place to another. And so that's that's one example of how people have to work for a long time to get the opulence of a car. But just the car itself, which is a means of transportation, is not exactly what we'd call an opulence. It's just a tool that we all have to have because public transportation in this country is not so good as it is in, in for example, some of the European countries. And so uh, then people, so people have to spend a goodly portion of their lives to be able to afford an automobile or home. And then there's the problem of, of worrying about maintaining and protecting the car, because nowadays you don't take a, take your automobile to a shop where people are making, you know, five or ten dollars an hour. Most uh, most shops will charge anywhere from seventy five to a hundred dollars an hour, and perhaps at dealerships they will charge even more than that, just to work on your car that you've already had to spend a lot of money to procure. So then that's that, and that goes on for the life of the car. Usually, if it's a brand new car, you've got a period of time that you know there's not so much to worry about, just as long as you change the oil and you make sure there's coolant in the car. But if you don't do those maintenance things, then you're going, your car is not going to last for very long at all. So we, uh, protecting it from, from, uh, you know, getting damaged by weather, by uh, the traffic, uh, to keep it from being stolen from you as many cars are done nowadays. Those are problems that, that a person has to deal with because he has enough money or has enough credit to be able to afford afford a nice vehicle. And same thing goes with one's home. One is constantly having to do things to maintain the home, whether it's to make sure the roof is, is in good repairs so that you don't get water leakage coming in from the outside. 
and to make sure all the plumbing is, is operating properly. Otherwise, if you get one line that is stopped up, then then you got serious problems. You have to pay somebody a lot of money to come out and unstop it. So these are just problems of maintenance. And most of us who have been doing it for the past 50 years or so, we've gotten so accustomed to it, we hardly ever think about it. But when we do think about it, we realize, man, this is not what I want to be doing with my day today. And so we have to do it anyhow. So we're watching the objects and and uh, d- deteriorate. Even if you get the very nicest car, you pay sixty, eighty thousand dollars for a car nowadays, and you and you just you park it somewhere, and then as time goes by, you begin to notice little things going wrong with it, and maybe uh, when you're driving it on the street, somebody bangs into you, or or maybe a rock hits the windshield. There's always things that are that are tempted that are trying to cause your your vehicle to be damaged out there and so you have to watch it just deteriorate it even if it were just sitting in your driveway it has to be washed and cleaned and kept up nice um, otherwise it, it you know it accumulates dirt and dust and such and sometimes we get hail storms here in texas that break out windows and put dents all over our vehicles and that beautiful piece of opulence that we purchased with six years of our lives and spending maybe six hundred, eight hundred, 800, even a thousand dollars a month to own has just become damaged and it's worth a lot less than we paid for it. And then sometimes we, we just lose the ob- objects that we have. We just, we, we lose them for some reason or another, mainly because maybe that they've been in an accident and it's just too much repair for the company to do. And so they has to give, they have to give you some kind of a cash payment. And that's usually a lot less than, than even than you might have owed on your car. But still, you just have to accept it because you can't go up against the insurance companies unless you have enough money, have a lawyer to represent you. Or we become, if we don't lose them, then uh, we become bored with them. We think, we look around and we see all these nice new vehicles going past us and the paint jobs are just immaculate and they're clean. They don't have a speck of dust on them and they make nice sounds when they go by. And so we're thinking, wow, you know, it's, it's time. I, we've got 150,000, 200,000 miles on this car. So now we need to get rid of it. So we become bored with things. So we, we're talking about recognizing the problems that come with having possessions. And they're always there. Sometimes we have to find ways to engage our possessions in devotional service. Now, if we're lucky, then we have come to contact with the devotees of Krishna, and they have taught us that that everything that we have must be used in the service of Krishna. And so uh, we we know that there are ways then that we have to engage those possessions in devotional service if we want to follow the instructions that we've been given in our spiritual lives. And, of course, providing for our family uh, a refuge uh, from the elements, uh, from the rest of society, we have to have the nice house. And so that's a good reason to have some shelter. Question is whether, whether you, you know, you're going to be able to afford a shelter. Because in some places, like Seattle, where my son Bart lives, 
the prices are extremely high compared to those in Dallas. So we have people moving here from the West Coast. Um, um, we have Srinath Krishnaprabhu has come in. He's he's moved from the state of Utah um, and has come come to Dallas. And and we we find that uh, regardless of where you are, then. It takes money to be able to provide your family with a decent place to live. I'm sorry, I said tree not, but it's not him. <laughs> Hare Krishna. And so, uh, so we 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 can use all of these things, all of these possessions that we have, in a, in a proper way for which they were intended. It, it doesn't take a great deal of opulence just to house our families, uh, but sometimes those persons who have the income that will afford it, they will purchase a house that is is, is much nicer because it, it, they could, they're able to do so, and there's a good likelihood that if they ever change houses or they go to another part of the country or maybe they go back to the country from which they've come, uh, they can sell their house at a profit. So that's actually a good business transaction, isn't it? But it's of course it's it's a bit of a risk. Uh, to pay a lot of money because you never know what's going to happen in the place where your house is located. Is something going to happen there like is the neighborhood going to become run down uh, because other people are moving out or people are renting their properties and the renters are not taken care of? So those are things that we have to be concerned with, even for owning a house. Uh, a nice house will allow you to have a place for devotees to gather, and that's kind of nice. Just like there's a good purpose for having an automobile, sometimes it can be used to pick up people at the airport or, or peop- uh, maybe take people out um, on, a, on a particular occasion in which you're distributing literatures or, or even going out to the country to have a, a, just a picnic where you can get together with everybody. So those are, those are purposes for having a, a decent house and, and for having a decent vehicle as well. Uh, we, so a vehicle can be used for hauling goods and people, you know, whenever this, the occasion is needed. And sometimes we can use our opulences to help other people, for, to provide for them when they have times that they're, they're in problems. In other words, whatever wealth or possessions that we have, we can share that wealth if it's possible, if we're making enough money to do so. And we can share our possessions. Maybe we have something that we're not using so much. And a lot of times people uh, who are, are devotees here in our community, um, if they have an, a used automobile that they were they were just going to trade in, they will instead uh, give it to someone who works full-time here in our temple compound, temple community. And, and so that... that Sometimes is a big relief to those persons here who have been renunciates all their lives and have never had the opportunity to make a great deal of money. So uh, it's it's a, it's an act of kindness. Then that's one way to engage your your wealth in helping other people in their devotional service, providing for other people. Then we have to overcome the desire just to uh, acquire and to accumulate. And one way to do that is recognizing that that there are better ways to engage one's income 
than uh, than to buy things that are are very expensive, or perhaps even to buy things that we don't really need, but we just want them just because we have the money coming in to be able to afford them. So recognizing that there are better ways to engage our income then uh, is is a way that we can engage that that wealth. That in other words, we're we're not asked to give up our wealth when we come into the association of devotees, uh, but we're asked to please use part of our wealth in a way that will benefit other devotees, and that in then very much uh, that helps us in our spiritual lives too. Helps us to get rid of a lot of the karma that comes with uh, with you know earning money and then spending the money. And there is karmic reactions whenever that uh, whenever that occurred. So if we use it to help other people, um, then then that's a very good thing. So we have to become a little bit introspective too, examining our own desires to possess. And sometimes maybe we're not even aware of the fact that we're letting other people and their opulences affect us. I remember especially when we were, when my wife and I were a young couple and we would see other people around us and we'd hear them talking about another person that lived on the, on the block that we were on. And they would say, I just don't understand how he can, how he can buy such a nice big house and, and then buy such expensive vehicles. He couldn't be making that much more money than, than we're making. And so they, then the dissatisfaction sets in. So you have to be a little introspective then and examine your own desires to possess things. If you let the advertisements that you see on television here on radio or if you let what's going on with the people around you, then sometimes you can, you can increase your desire just to own things. So we learn then that we should reduce our possessions in order to live more simply. And if we want to use our money for something, we just can sock it away to provide for the future. Because there will come a time when we no longer have the physical strength or the mental acuity to be able to function as we do when we're younger. And so it, it, we have to maybe set aside some funds to help us get through our senior years, especially uh, since the government no longer provides for people as they once did. And manufacturers are, are people that employ other people then. Uh, we see that they're no longer able to offer them things like a lifetime retirement income. And that was done at one time. You could go to work for a big company, and you were almost guaranteed that if you stayed with that company until the time you retired, you would have enough money to live, not only to live on, but to do quite well on. Um, many people, however, they just depend on their Social Security coming in, and they, they don't put aside money for the future needs, and they just go ahead and live life opulently right now without thinking about what's going coming up in the future. There's another reason, too, to live in a simpler way, and that's to not become the object of envy for other people. Because if other people are envious of us, they're envious of what we have, that's going to change their relationships with us. And it's also going to make them dissatisfied in what they possess. 
in what comes. So Krishna tells us in the Bhagavad Gita that we should be satisfied with that gain which comes of its own accord. That doesn't mean that we sit around waiting for gain to come of its own accord. But that means that we, 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 we work, we do our jobs, we, and this is something that's very much appreciated by devotees of Krishna, that someone will, that will work and continue to do his function to provide for his family or uh, to support different activities that are going on around the temple. These kinds of things are very much appreciated. So if you if you haven't spent all of your money up until the last dime that you make each month on making payments for a house and an automobile and all the other opulences that come with it, then there will be some money left over then to help others, and you will uh, you will not become the object of envy by those who see what you have and then they they want to have it like that also. So we have to, sometimes we have to change the way that we use our time and our resources. Um, and we now we're we're looking at today at the example of Maharaj Parikshit, who was still uh, probably had uh, quite a bit of his youth left, and since but since he was uh, accused and since he was um, um, uh, cursed by a young Brahmin boy. Uh, then he was willing just to turn his back on all of the opulences of this material world and just walk away from them. And that's not an easy thing to do. But we see that in, in our own lives that if we don't, uh, if we don't try to spend up to the last penny of our incomes, on possessing things, that it frees up our time for, for, from acquiring and maintaining. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, regardless of what you buy, it's going to go through a period of deterioration, and eventually you have to repair it or replace it, and both might be a little bit hard, depending on how, how expensive you had. So then we, we, that tends to help us then to change our focus on possessions themselves. In, instead of seeing the possession as something that's going to give us a certain amount of prestige in our society, like an automobile or a house might, uh, we we need to look at them as something that has been given to us by the Supreme Lord, and we're going to be using it for whatever purposes that come across but especially if we are a little bit surrendered to our temple authorities and maybe they need some help doing something, we can use them for that kind of, of service. And, and then uh, that changes our focus on those possessions. It, it helps us to think about them not as our own possessions to be used only for our own pleasure, but it, it helps us to remember there, regardless of what it is, it's nothing but a tool and just like a tool can can deteriorate in 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 the environment that it's left in uh so even even our, our not just our objects but even our relationships can deteriorate like that if we're not really careful about how we maintain those relationships so we can lose both our op- objects of opulence and also our relationships which also give us a certain amount of opulence depending on who it is we're friends with. So we're looking to strengthen then 
uh, our intelligence for making good choices. And if we have very strong intelligence, uh, then as it's been pointed out to us by, I think, Burijan Prabhu in the past, uh, we can increase the strength of our intelligence by uh, simply reading Srila Prabhupada's books. Just by reading his books, just that activity of reading his books can increase our intelligence. And we're not just talking about learning how to put words together and make sentences or how to use big words that we quite often don't know anything about. Uh, and would we, if we use them, we'd probably misuse them. We'd use them incorrectly. Um, but uh, the, uh, having uh, having a strong intelligence then can help to overcome the mind, which is always telling us what to do to satisfy our senses. And then finally, we what we would like to do is to have the intelligence to uh, help us to prepare for living a simpler lifestyle in the future. And we know that, you know, there's going to come a time when you've got two people living in a big house and there's no longer any children there, there's no longer any grandchildren there, and then you have to make the decision, are we going to continue keeping this house? But most people like to keep the house that they've grown up in and that their families have grown up in. They like to keep them because there's just something that feels very comfortable about a house. But uh, it's it's good that we can have the intelligence then to prepare for a simpler lifestyle. Because when we get to be older, then there's a good chance that we're that our income is no longer going to be present, and we're going to have to make do. For everything that we do with less, a lot less money than we had just before we, we retired from working. So preparing for a simpler lifestyle in the future is one of the uses of our opulences and one of the uses of our intelligence in dealing with those opulences. So that maybe uh, even if we're not in the position of, of a King Parichit, maybe we're not told that we're going to... Um, give up our bodies in the, in the next few days. Of course, we, we never know when that's going to occur, especially if we're out on the road or we're flying in the air. There's always the possibility that we'll be called away at that time, and then we'll have to give up our uh, the opulences of our material body and all the other trappings that go with it. And so we should learn then to prepare for the future when there's going to be a time when we have no opulences available, or maybe the ones that we had have just deteriorated so much that there's no longer any use to us. So these are some of the thoughts that we had today in in, uh, dealing with material opulence, you know, recognizing the problems that come with it, finding ways to engage it in devotional service, um, overcoming the desire to acquire and accumulate, and finally changing the way one uses his time and his resources uh, in order to become an intelligent person who is on this planet for a short time, and then he has to make his plans for leaving. So we understand that everybody is in some state of leaving this material planet after having tried so hard throughout their lifetimes to make a permanent nest for themselves and their little children. 
and you know of course the children grow up and they leave the home and leave the uh leave the old people quite quite often uh to just have to fend for themselves so if we have opulences there are appropriate ways of using it without just getting rid of it and saying that no this this is not a pro- this is not a problem i wish to deal with i'm just going to get rid of everything no it's not required to do that and but it is it is helpful to us to our consciousness and to our progress on a spiritual path if we learn what those opulences that we have should be used for and in spite of what other people seem to be telling us to do we instead simply uh just uh sit down with what opulences that we we have that we can use and just continue our continue on to the end of our lives of course maybe we're not like king parichit in that he can sit and listen for 7 days to philosophy being spoken by shukadev goswami maybe we can't do that but there are other ways then that we can arrange our lives so that uh, there's there's not so much problem anymore uh, with maintaining our possessions and keeping them from getting taken or getting harmed to come to them. And I think with that, we'll, we'll end now and ask if anyone would like to say something uh, before we go. Any comments? Mm-hmm. Bishop Bhagavan Prabhu, it, do you have the... Microphone, please, please use the microphone because I want everyone to hear what you have to say. I appreciated your comments yesterday at the end of uh, Mother Jai Sri Radhe's classes and your citing Srila Prabhupada's words. That was enlightening. Bart, do you have anything? Yes, Mr. Bhagavan Prabhu. Is it not working? Technologically challenged, we are. Yesterday, we were talking about Tukaram, the great saint in Maharashtra. And he was, if you've ever seen the movie of Tukaram, there was a movie made about him in the 30s. And the first impression you get is that he neglects his family and his wife and he's in constant anxiety because Tukaram has got too much heaven on his mind. He's always Pandaram, Pandaram, and then, you know, where's the, why, why, where's the job? You know, why do, he's not getting a good income and his family's very unhappy. So is that a kind of a, theme, like you said, that Krishna says that the wealth comes of its own accord. Most people think that wealth comes because they go out and earn it. You know, instead of being at a, talking about philosophy at eight in the morning, they're making lasers, eight o'clock, day one. And that's how people make money. And they, if they spend their time worshiping God, then they become poor. I think it's even mentioned that Brahmins are Cursed to be poor because of something they did. Oh, the Brigu kicking Lord Vishnu in the chest incident. Mm. So someone may. Devasa Muni. 
Yes, that incident. So doesn't somebody look at all this and may think that oh, if I worship Krishna, then I'm going to have I'll be uh, unsuccessful? But is that not necessarily the case? Well, if we're really sincere about worshiping Krishna, uh, we have no guarantees from anyone that Krishna is going to allow us to become very rich and successful, uh, like uh, like uh, our our devotee, what's his name, Alfred Ford. Um, what's his name? Ambarish Prabhu. Amrish Prabhu. He is a disciple of Srila Prabhupada, uh, living in Mayapur, I believe, and he's uh, he's given a significant portion of his own personal wealth to helping to build the temple of the Vedic planetarium. So he is a, he's the kind of person who is born into wealth. He probably has never had to work a day of his life. But in, instead of just sitting down and enjoying, or you know, on on a on a beach somewhere in the South Pacific, and drinking a cool drink, and uh, you know, just having all kinds of beauty around him, uh, instead he is he's chosen to spend some time in Mayapur, uh, helping with that with that very very expensive project. Uh, Bart, did you know that's going that Temple of the Vedic Planetarium is going to cost upwards of a hundred million dollars? It's a lot of money. And the last I heard, Ambarish Prabhu had already designated uh twenty five million of his own wealth for that for that project. Uh so you know it's possible to have opulence and not be um too distracted by the opulence, you know. But then that requires one to have considerable a considerable amount of intelligence, because uh, and that's probably the reason, Mr. Bhagwan Prabhu, that anyone who is a devotee of Krishna doesn't usually become very successful, uh, because the the tendency when one comes into a lot of wealth. The tendency is to use that wealth just for sense enjoyment. Taking a trip, a world tour or something, you know, spending, 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 and and then suddenly you're running out you're running out of money and then you got to figure out how to get on with the rest of your life. Not many people have that kind of opulence come to them. And so um it 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 does take it takes it helps to have good influence you know the kind of people that are around you uh can help you to keep from making stupid mistakes and decisions like that and sometimes people have complained that uh, devotees of the lord they are they just uh, want they seem to want to sit lay back and take it easy and not do anything uh, but of course, we all we all know that you know a person can't even feed himself if he doesn't work, and he's he's if he's going to be like if he's going to live out on the street, you know that that takes a a, a certain amount of uh, stamina, physical ability. There's not many people have that ability to live out on the street. And uh, Barrett has told us about places up in Seattle where he uh, goes hiking. 
and uh, even the trail that you go to work on each day that you walk on. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you see on that trail, Bart. You got the microphone there? Make sure the green light is on. Uh, yeah, yeah, the homeless people that you see. So, uh, as you said, I do walk a uh, trail every day to go to work from home. It's about a mile and a half. Uh, there have been some homeless camps along the way, and they were occupied. Uh, I had an opportunity after they moved out to clean them up. I asked the city to do it, and they just procrastinated so long that I finally just got the nerve to go and do it. And uh, I feel, you know, that it's a very special uh blessing to have that trail to walk on every day instead of having to drive and fight traffic. So it's a very simple situation. I don't have a car. I don't need a car. And uh, it gives me uh, a little bit of peace in the morning and the evening walking home after a long day. Um, not many people can say that when they're fighting traffic. So, uh, But as far as the uh, material wealth goes, I've seen that the uh, homeless camps, they have tents, they have, uh, you know, food, you know, items and uh they they survive, um, you know, daily, and I know it's not a, a happy situation for them, but um, they they manage, and uh, maybe simplicity is the best way to live. And uh, of course, there's a lot of ignorance, and uh, there's a lot of uh, intoxication that causes that for them to be in that situation. But uh, I feel like you know they they want to be alone. They want to be. Uh, ignored basically to to live that life that they have so uh simplicity i think it's a it's a lot of in some ways for for a uh, an, an intelligent person it's a good way to live so that they have a clear mind and are able to uh, just just to think as they want to think to not be uh distracted by all the the material opulence out there and i don't think that they are necessarily envious or jealous of people with wealth because they understand there is a lot of um, stress that's caused by that. They don't have to drive to work every day. That's a good point. That And Bart is showing us the difference between renunciation kind of in the mode of ignorance and renunciation in the mode of goodness, that a person can live a simple life and, and yet live... Even persons can live opulently, um, just like, uh, let's see, who was that, uh, Ramananda Roy, who was uh, an associate of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uh, he would, he was carried on a palanquin, and, and some people thought that maybe he, he just considered himself to be a very exalted personality. But as it turns out, he, he was, uh, he, he was a renunciate because he uh, considered all of this opulence that he had not to be worth anything in comparison with the spiritual life that he could have in the association of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So it's possible it's possible to live with opulence and be renounced. I have a question. Yes, Barry. So when Maharaj Parikshit accepted the the situation, when he allowed for the curse to follow through, 
he abandoned his opulence, but he also abandoned responsibility, I think, with uh, ruling the world. So uh, I know with Krishna and Arjun, Krishna instructed Arjun to live out your life, to uh, to accept the role which you were given. And yet Maharaj Pariksit abandoned that. He uh, he walked away from it. Is there a justification? Is there a, uh, a closure for him? Well, that's, a, that's a very intelligent question, Barton. And it does appear as though uh, Parikshit Maharaj made a decision uh, to just give up all the responsibility that he had. So even though we recognize that giving up that opulence and then preparing for one's death, it seems like uh, seems like it's just uh, uh, maybe giving up his, the responsibility that he had for ruling the entire world. But on the other hand, he was so spiritually enlightened that he realized that uh, I, I received this curse by this boy for something that I did. So I should probably just go ahead and accept the curse as an arrangement by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Because if, if, I, if I don't do that, if I simply say, uh, you know, react as most people would when someone does something very mean to them, uh, most, most of us then would react, we'd, we'd come out fighting if somebody treated us very unfairly. As such as has happened um, with with this young boy uh, cursing the king. Um, so we we can we can see examples of persons like that who are in a very exalted position that uh, that are really renounced because they use everything that's in their possession for the purpose of, of serving the Supreme Lord. And if for some reason the Lord wants to take all of that away from you, uh, then one can be like Parikshit Maharaj, and that is say, all right, my Lord, if this is what you want to happen to me, you're the one that's in control. If you desire to stop it, uh, then you can do that. But I won't depend on your stopping it, and I don't. I don't want to take any action against this young boy and counter the curse that he's given me, because I feel that this is all coming from you. It's all part of your design, just like with the Battle of Kurukshetra, Bharat. You remember, there's 640 million men killed in 18 days, and this is unordinary. It's not at all ordinary. You know, they had such weapons that they could use to kill thousands of men at one time. And so uh, uh, a person has... So like Arjuna, Arjuna wanted wanted to just say, all right, if if I had to kill all these people just to gain the kingdom of the earth, you know, just to win the kingdom for my brother Eudistir, and then because I'm his brother, then I would live in all the opulence that he has. Uh, uh, Arjuna chose instead, or he wanted to choose, that I'm just going to give up everything. I'm just going to become a beggar. I'm going to be a homeless person. I'll move out to the forest and just make my livelihood by begging. But in, in his case, he was such an exalted personality that he had Krishna telling him, this is not, this is not the way to become renounced. Uh, People are not going to look at what you're doing and say that, 
oh, this this Arjuna, he's such a renunciate, he's such a renounced person, he's, he must be really exalted. No, they're going to say, look at him. He's a warrior, and he's walking away from the battlefield. He's scared. He's a coward. And so that's when Krishna tells him that for one who has known fame, infamy is worse than death. So we might say uh, that Parikshit Maharaj has made that decision. Uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to give up everything now because that seems to be the will of the Lord. And if Krishna had not wanted Parikshit Maharaj to leave this position and come back to the spiritual world with him, he would have made some other arrangement. We said, Nityananda Prabhu is here. Wait, wait, before you begin speaking, would you, Bart, would you please hand the microphone? Everyone, our temple president, Nitananda Prabhu, has just come back from doing some service. So I was saying that uh, yesterday I was reading from Srimad Bhagavatam and it made a very good point. I think that it's very good for us to know this point, and that is that when um, the battle of Kurukshetra was over and Arjuna had gone back from Dwarka to uh, uh, to visit with uh, Krishna, um, yeah, um, I mean, he had gone back to Dwarka from Hastinapur, gone back to Dwarka to visit with Krishna, and he didn't come back for quite a, some quite some time, and so his elder brother Yudhishthir got very worried. Finally, when Arjuna did come back, he noticed that Arjuna was very pale. Uh, he looked as if, uh, you know, something horrible had happened. And so Arjuna was describing that Krishna was no longer uh, around for him, you know, and he was missing him because Krishna had decided to leave the planet. And so in the purport, Prabhupada describes that Arjuna was such a powerful person that even the demigods were amazed with how much power he had. And we might remember that after Krishna left, Arjuna couldn't protect his own wives, he couldn't protect the wives of Krishna. So uh, the description that's given by Prabhupada is that when the power is given by Krishna to anybody to do something, it is meant for his service. It isn't so that he just indiscriminately gives power to everybody or some empowerment, you know, like that to anybody, or opulence or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And the devotees see everything in relationship to going back home to Godhead. This is what the point that Prabhupada was making. That the idea is that whatever you make a decision, the decision should be based on, is this going to help me go back to Godhead? Or is this going to, in some way, impede that process? And so he said that although he was he had given Arjuna so much power, Krishna had given him so much power, that it is described that even Narayan came to worship him. Uh, to worship Arjuna. This is how powerful and amazing Arjuna was. But when he no longer needed that power to go back to Godhead, he needed that power to serve Krishna's purpose. But once Krishna's purpose had been served, uh, there was no need for him to have the power, and so that power was taken away from him. And he was okay with that. He was very happy with that. He, he didn't realize why uh, he wasn't able to fight with the Dakoids. Of course, he, later on he found out all those Dakoids were actually Krishna himself. And he was coming to tease him, you know, uh, because he was such a powerful person. Would, can, would you mind relating that incident of, of the the Dakwats coming to take the queens of Krishna yeah, away? Yeah, yeah. What had happened was that, uh, as you know, in the end, Arjuna and his brothers decided to go up the mountain, uh, the Himalayas, and actually leave their bodies, you know, and just 
uh, uh, transcend this world, you know, like that. And so on the, on the way up, uh, Arjuna met with Krishna. Krishna was there on the mountain. So Arjuna was very, uh, Arjuna was very despondent because, uh, he wasn't able to protect Krishna's wives and his own wives. And so he's feeling very, very dejected. He felt like he was such a, you know, but he had his bow and he had his arrows. Yes. Why, why couldn't he protect them? Yeah, it didn't work. I mean, just he tried his best, but it didn't work. It just didn't work. And so he was very dejected. And so when he met Krishna, Krishna was laughing. So Arjuna said to Krishna, you know what happened. He said, how can he laugh? You know, he says, I'm so unhappy. I'm so miserable. Since that happened, I've lost any, uh, any desire to live. I mean, you know how a person becomes very dejected when something goes really bad in their life, you know? So he was very dejected like that, very depressed, uh, you know, and, and, and anxiety like that. And he, on the other hand, Krishna was laughing. So he's saying to Krishna, why are you laughing? What's so funny, you know? Um, why, why are you so happy? I, I'm in such a bad situation, you know? And so Krishna said, well, you have no idea what happened uh, when those dacoits actually attacked you. He said, what happened? He said, it was actually I. I came in the form of those dacoits mm. to attack you. And Arjuna said, why? I'm your friend. Why did you do that to me? Why did you actually, you know, make me feel like my wives and your wives were all being uh, molested and this, that, and the other? You know, I was, I was beside myself with anxiety. How, how would I, how can this even happen? You know, I, I, I fought a huge army and defeated this huge army. And yet I can't, this, and these decoys, by the way, came with uh, sticks and stones. They didn't have any weapons. They were fighting with him with sticks in their hands and stones in their hands. And, you know, and he couldn't defeat them with all of his uh, advanced weaponry. You know, he couldn't defeat them. So Krishna was saying, yeah, I just wanted to have some fun with you. He says, don't worry. He says, I took care of my wives and I took care of your wives as well. You don't have to worry about them. <laughs> but this is what had happened. But going back to this point again that I was making, one of the things that Parikshit Maharaj did consider was what was best for him in terms of going back to Godhead. Because it is actually the ultimate purpose of life. Because that is where we can serve Krishna properly. Here we cannot serve Krishna properly. It's a little like, you know, how sometimes somebody falls very sick, right? Um, they have a really bad flu. Then they don't go to work that day, you know? Because they know they cannot perform properly at work. They'll underperform. In fact, it'll cause a disturbance to others if they go to work. So similarly, in our... Uh, situation that we're in right now where we are disabled. Actually, we, we are so disabled that Prabhupada says that we just have to make the best of a bad bargain that we, we have, you know. In this situation, is not the ideal situation to serve Krishna. Of course, we try it because Krishna wants us to do that, because our spiritual master wants us to do that. Lord Chaitanya says that. But we know that the best way I can do service for Krishna and for his associates is to regain my health, my spiritual health. And our spiritual health is only totally regained when we go back home, back to Godhead. So this was also another reason. Yes, it was his reason that, you know, he considered it the will of Krishna. But the will of Krishna is that we come back home, back to Godhead. Just like the will of any parent who has lost their child, uh, you know, whose child has been kidnapped, is that that child come back home, you know, because that's where the child is going to be happy, in a kidnapped condition. And we have, the Bhagavatam does describe that, you know, we've been kidnapped by the witch Maya, you know, and that we're now sleeping in her lap and, and you know, gallivanting around this world thinking that I am somebody when actually our situation is totally precarious at all times, you know, like that. So this was the point that I wanted to make, that 
that there was one more reason that he had decided that it was time for him to go back to Godhead because he saw that as everything had worked out, the kingdom was doing well, everything was fine. There was no need for him to have the opulences and everything else, all the power that he had been given uh, to do service to Krishna, the best service he could do to Krishna was to go back home, back to Godhead and serve him there, you know, like that. So, Bharat, that's an answer to your question about why Parikshit Maharaj left, gave up his responsibility. Is there anything else that anyone else want to bring any points up? All right. Well, we thank you all very much for being with us. And those of you who have joined us online or by radio or telephone, we also appreciate very much your taking some portion of your day to listen to philosophy. And we hope that you have a very good day. So now we offer our respectful obeisances to all the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord who are just like desire trees, who fulfill the desires of everyone and who are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Everybody have a good day out there.